We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the True Faith Weekly Podcast, sponsored by Phoenix Taxis and Coaches. To book online, please visit www.phoenixtaxis.net. Welcome to another special True Faith Weekly Podcast edition. I'm joined by Mike Martin, editor of True Faith, and this week's special guest is Luke Edwards of The Telegraph. Hello, gentlemen. Hello. Good evening. Luke, I'll come to you first. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, and who you work for? Uh, my name's Luke Edwards. Um, I'm a Cockney. Um, I've lived in Newcastle. Is this what the sort of stuff you want to tell? This is cool. Uh, I came to university in Newcastle and have never left, married a Geordie, have a Geordie son. Um, and yes, I write about football for a living for the Daily Telegraph, having spent 11 years on the journal. I think that's pretty comprehensive. That's Thanks very much. I think everyone's all clued up on Luke Edwards. What we're going to talk about today on the podcast, uh, we've got Luke with us, so we're going to talk about his ban. We're going to talk about Newcastle United's continuing the strained relationship with the media, or you know, the opposite, with their preferred media partners. And um, we'll have a look at you know the next couple of months ahead for Newcastle, what's going on. So, Mick, I'll come to you. Uh, we'll start off. You know, do you know Luke? Have you, have you had much to do? Unfortunately, with him? I do. <laughs> you know, Luke, Luke's banned. Mm-hmm. You know, I think. What were your initial thoughts? What, what were your initial thoughts of us saying Newcastle United in the media? It's just kind of a, a, a blowout, isn't it? It's um, pointless. I think these um, these uh, exercises where the, te- the the toys come out the pram. You know, the the football media pisses people off. Over have done over many years, and and sometimes their reporting's risable. You know, ridiculous transfer stories, blown out things out of proportion. This this week we had the PSG thing. You know, the sorry, the Sissoko thing with him claiming that Crystal Palace are a bigger club. And then you look at it and you think the guy doesn't speak the Queen's English. You know, and he can get things mixed up. He's he hasn't had a slur against the club. It's just nonsense. Got up. To, to create clicks for advertising, etc. But there are a group of um, journalists who cover Newcastle who are the regular 
lads, I think, and looks amongst them. And they they publish some half decent stuff occasionally. You know? <laughs> so that's pra- that's the highest praise. <laughs> And they, they, they do, and, and I think if you're a thinking supporter, which all True Faith readers and listeners are, of course, you know, they, they have their go-to people, and I think, you know, we know who they are, George, George Corkin's one of them, Simon Bird's another, uh, Mark Douglas at the Chronicle um, is is one, and uh, and Luke's another, and there are others, obviously, but they're the, they're the main ones. And obviously, Luke lives in the city, others live in the city, and they, they kind of absorb the tensions and the rhythms of, of Newcastle-upon-Tyne and its environs. And they, they know the club, you know, so or they know a version of the club, nobody knows everything. Um, and and for them to be banned continually, it's, it's, it's just, it's so poor, it's poor form, you know. And even, even though they're like, I've slaughtered Luke in the past, you know, and... Um, but even then, it, you know, and there's been journalists that have had it, the Chronicle, you know, Alan Oliver in the past, who I would have happily pushed off the Tain Bridge, but I would have never, ever thought of banning him. You know, it's just ridiculous. And the whole thing about how they allegedly treat the press, you know, tea and paper cups and that kind of thing. It, it, I think it's an affront to how we view ourselves in the North East as being warm and friendly people. It's a, they're a different breed to us. So... Um, with that preamble, um, <laughs> look, you—it's not the first time you've been banned. No, I was banned twice under Freddie Shepherd. I must have one of those faces, actually. Maybe you have. Boys, I don't know. <laughs> I was banned twice by Freddie Shepherd, which I wore as a badge of honour because um, I got under his skin, um, wrote some things he didn't like uh, at a time when I think people were beginning to realise that perhaps Freddie Shepherd, Shepherd wasn't great for the football club. So he banned me twice when I was on the journal. And I've now been banned twice by Mr. Mike Ashley. Um, the first one, I mean, what you said there about bands is they are completely and utterly pointless. I've not shut up. I've not gone anywhere. I'm still getting stories. I'm still writing my opinions. I still go to games. All I don't get is I don't get a 15-minute sit-down with Steve McLaren once a week. And I don't get some tea in the press room at a match. And I don't get Wi-Fi. It's a pointless exercise in trying to show how powerful they are. And it hasn't worked with me. Um, and it certainly won't work with me. The sort of person I am, it would probably just make me worse. And, and I, I don't mean that, that it will make me more negative. It would just make, make me more determined to do my job to the best of my ability. Um, the first band under... To put the context of bands into place, the first one came in 2013 during the unexpected brush with relegation the UEFA Cup defeat to Benfica the subsequent derby defeat and the hammering at home to Liverpool um, and having covered Newcastle for well since 2001 um, you know I've got good contacts at the club staff members players uh, and I had spoke to four different people on a, on, a, on a given day wrote about their dressing room problem said that you know basically a lot of the players were pissed off uh, do you have to delete that out? Is pissed allowed? Nope. No, good. Okay, <laughs> we're, we're, we're pissed off with another group of players who happen to be mainly French. Um, now, I think it's no... I can probably say their names now. Hatton Ben Arfel was one. Johan Kabai was the other. Um, because all Johan Kabai was talking about at the training grounds, how he was going to move in the summer and disappear. Hatton Ben Arfel, as we know, had certain uh, work rate issues and was difficult behind the scenes. It was a perfectly valid story. Um, wrote wrote about the you know the, the dressing room is on the verge of splitting. Um, the next day, banned, denied, lies, 
written with malicious intent, as Alan Pardew said in a, in a post-match <laughs> press conference. And Alan Pardew, by the way, who denied having anything to do with the ban, um, subsequently admitted to me, after I was let back in, that he had been responsible for the ban. Uh, it's also worth pointing out that Steve Harper, in an interview, said there were problems in the dressing room last season. Shola Obi. Don't think any of we've called Steve Harper and Shola Obi troublemakers or people not to be trusted. Also said that the biggest difference was we've got players who are all pulling in the same direction. No apology from the club. Of course, there was no legal action ever taken against me because the story was true. We could prove it. But I was banned and I was sent out on my ear and got dogs abuse on Twitter. And even some writers from True Faith um, <laughs> were upset that I'd written it and said it was mischief making. Now... Regardless, it was a valid story, and actually, I think it was better being out in the open. I, I didn't write it to hurt Newcastle. I thought it was better out in the open. So, do you know what? They could do something about it. There could be a bit of a siege mentality. But no, I was accused of all sorts. Anyway, the second band, the subsequent one that I'm still serving, is a year ago, roughly, I wrote that Mike Ashley wanted to buy Rangers and that he had been trying, trying to sell Newcastle. Um, in the story, I said the club isn't officially up for sale. He won't won't contemplate selling it in the middle of the season, um, but he has been looking to sell it. Uh, nothing the next day. Uh, two days later, um, a statement appears on the official website denying that he's looking to sell. Interestingly, not denying the Rangers bit. Um, with also the caveat that he wasn't looking to sell until 2016 at the earliest. Subsequently, buys Rangers or tries to buy Rangers, um, which would have meant that Rangers and Newcastle wouldn't have been able to play in Europe together. The earliest that they would have been able to play in Europe together was 2016. Anyway, regardless, so they denied it um, and I'm still banned. Um, and it's, I've been banned ever since. So, it's, yeah, it's coming up for a year now. Um, again, no legal action taken. Um, just me banned. Uh, in the hope that maybe I don't know I don't know what they hope but I'm still banned we've asked for the ban to be lifted we wanted to start this season with a clean slate it was a chance for everyone to start with a clean slate it was a chance for Steve McLaren to start with a clean slate we would have continued to be fair and balanced in everything that we do but we wanted to be part of the positivity the club didn't want that to happen and they still want to make me sit on the naughty step so I'll sit on the naughty step very interesting for those of us who don't know, can you tell me how a ban takes effect? Do you, do you just turn up and they say, no, you're not No, that would in. be better. That would, yeah. be, that would be great if you turned up at the ground on some sort of you know, <laughs> uh, suit with goons in a suit, sort of just, you know, there's a picture of my, uh, my face. No, you're not coming in. I mean, I have been not let into a few nighttime establishments in Newcastle. But... Are you on pub watch? It's all right if you want. <laughs> uh, no, I'm not on pub watch. No, no, I'm too old now. I used to have hair in those days when I was, uh, when I was growing up. No, but um, no, you normally just get a call from the press officer um, who is sometimes apologetic sometimes F's and blinds and screams and shouts at you Um, the the second one the one about him selling the club I half expected it because I knew that was sensitive and I knew this not so much about Newcastle but I knew the Rangers stuff was sensitive for good reason as you've seen subsequently with what happened at Rangers i.e. they they organised and blocked it um, I half expect it the first one I was furious about the, the first one about the dressing room I was absolutely furious about because you know journalists can write stories based on speaking to one person four different people including two players and a member of staff at the football club told me that story was right yet they could just deny it and Alan Pardew could sit in a press conference deny it call me a liar and say it was written in a malicious tent I was absolutely furious about this one this one 
I don't know why it's continuing, is all I would say. I don't understand why they can't... You know, in the old days, you'd get a ban. And they do happen in football. They've always happened. But you'd get a ban. At some point, you'd have a meeting. You'd shake hands. You'd have your say. You'd get a bit of a bollocking from a manager. Or you'd, you'd get the viewpoint of the, the chief executive. You'd shake hands. You'd go away and it'd be over and done with. This is now going on for a year. Um, and it, as I said at the start, it's pointless. It now feels vindictive against me. Um Someone put it to me, who well placed that I've got under, you know, I, I've upset Mike Ashley. Um, well, I didn't go into journalism to just, you know, cattle to powerful men. And if Mike Ashley's upset by me questioning him or revealing things that he didn't want to be out in the public domain, then I think that's the role of an independent media. And I think that's the role of a journalist. And that's the same if you work in politics, economics. Uh, social social affairs, economic affairs. You know, we are here to expose things in the public interest and report things in the public interest. And I believe I've done that. As I said, no legal action has ever been taken against me. And we have some of the strictest libel laws in the world in this country. So uh, read into that what you will. It's an interesting one, isn't it? Because um, I think, you know, you did get hammers on, um, on social media, etc. And I think a lot of supporters understandably have a very partisan and protective view of their football club you know that's why they support us isn't it it's part of the part of the name but I think there's a misunderstanding about what the role of a of a journalist is and for me I've never ever regard, you know never ever regarded any of the people that get in the press box as being supporters they're not they're not there to be uh, cheerleaders no. for the club very good point yeah. you know they're there to ask awkward questions they're there to you know and when they don't people like me get upset you mm-hmm. know and, I, and I'll say do your bloody job uh, you know and I'll say you know I've said in the past you're not doing enough to look into the finances of the club um, so we so the likes of me and others in the kind of the fanzine fraternity we can't have it both ways we can't be very demanding of what we expect from the press and then criticise them when they say things we, you know, we might not like or agree with or think that there's no evidence or etc. Et One of the examples I would think is how we do need a more investigative press is the club that you've just been talking about, which is Rangers, because you know it wasn't the press in Scotland that exposed what was going on at Rangers. It was a citizen mm-hmm. journalist mm-hmm. exposing what they were doing with their tax, etc., and the, the Scottish media were so reliant on Rangers for stories, etc., they were frightened of them. You know, then they're frightened of Celtic as well. So we can't have it both ways. We've got to take the rough with the the rough with the smooth. But one of the things I was going to ask you, Luke, is is that you cover Sunderland as well. Mm. Um, how how does the atmosphere around Sunderland and how they treat the press different in Newcastle? Well, that's very interesting because if you look, Sunderland haven't had nearly as much criticism as Newcastle have. Yeah. Now, someone asked me about this. Uh, Mark Douglas, in fact, I'll give him a name check. Um, and he was asking me why I hadn't written as many critical things about Sunderland. I think my I was summing up as this. At least Sunderland have tried. The owner has tried to make them a better football club. He's made some bad decisions. I don't suspect he's, you know, he's not always been the most supportive he could be to managers. He's made some bad decisions, some bad calls, errors in judgment. But that guy, for all his fault, Ellis Shaw... He puts in 20 plus million per year just to keep Sunderland in the Premier League. Now, for all his faults, I can forgive that because that's a football club that was tr- is trying and everything is done to be better, really. Mike, Newcastle under Mike Ashley weren't trying. 
all they were interested in was remaining in the Premier League, acting as a vehicle for the promotion of the sports shop that I shan't mention. Mm. Um, and they weren't trying anymore. They weren't trying to be a proper football club anymore. Okay, so that that's the difference there. So we can criticise Sunderland for making stupid decisions, but at least they were trying. With Newcastle, they weren't trying. And then they were treating the press and their own supporters with contempt. With a kind of... It started off as an arrogant, we know best. If you remember the, when they were actually doing quite well, it was we know best. Okay, so we took you down once, but you, well, we know best. Oh no, we're, we're geniuses. We've, we've stumbled upon this new transfer policy where you only have to spend four or five million. We get all these bargains and we sell them on for 25, 30 million. What do you mean that won't be a successful team? No, 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 don't, don't listen. And then when things went wrong, they turn, they, basically the shutters go up at Newcastle and they dismiss, they dismiss criticism for so long from not, and I didn't write anything that I, I would argue, I didn't write anything that most supporters did not contemplate at some point or fought it at some point. Because as you say, I live in the city, I'm married to a family full of Newcastle United supporters. Um, and so when you treat the press with contempt and you're also treating the fans with contempt and, and by proxy, I think if you treat the media with contempt, you're not open with the media you're also treating the fans with contempt. Okay, if they had loads of access for fanzines and said, come in and we'll tell you everything that's going on and didn't treat, kept us out, then you could say, all right, okay, you're just treating the written press with contempt. But it's not, it's everyone. that They didn't want any transparency, any proper scrutiny, and they wanted to do everything their way. Um, and when, that, when they were criticised, they couldn't take it. Now, the, the positive, and I, I will say some positive now, is it does seem like this summer they have listened a little bit. Now, much as they hate it, the things that people like me have written have struck a chord with them and I, I think they have acted in a way that says okay we've made some mistakes blah 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 bottom line is they spent some money they've tried to improve the team they've tried this summer and I can forgive a lot from a football club as long as they're trying what was really upsetting me and I'm not a Newcastle United fan but as someone who lives in this city and understands what the football club means it hurt me it really upset me that they weren't trying that it was paralysed by this just to exist. What is the po- what was the point of Newcastle United in its old form last season? There was no point to it. Well, I think that, that what you just said there is about the club being very uber quick, prickly to um, to um, to criticism is something that has got has had echoes right across the relationship down the, the years that um, that Ashley's been that, that Ashley's been there. I mean, at one time, fanzines did have access. Mm. You know, um, I could more or less get an interview if I wanted one. Not, uh, they were never my thing with true faith. Um, Mark at the Mag, he used to like an interview and, and he used to get them. And that stopped, not not under the current press arrangements, under the previous one. Mm. Um, and uh, and it became very difficult to get even get an, an answer to a call, um, etc. Et so they became very prickly to, to uh, criticism. And I wonder whether or not that's part of... Ashley's character and you know where everywhere he goes in within his businesses you know because he's such a rich man rich very powerful man people kiss his ass. yeah it doesn't like being questioned yeah and and then when he comes to Newcastle everybody questions him yeah. every every movie makes and I, I wonder whether or not that's a, diffi- a difficulty that he's had and and to be a, a, and another feature of it is is that he's never appointed people who've been football people who know how to take it mm-hmm. you know who know how that it's a nine day wonder that it'll blow over and uh, you know and the things that people have got to say and how often they've got to say them etc 
And uh, and for all a shepherd's faults, shepherd used to just take it all on the chin, mm. and he never stopped us having access, not not once, you know. But now we're just kind of persona non grata, and he, you know the the supporters trust remains banned, um, for reasons that have never really been explained. People think it was a a, a breach of protocol, but firstly there was no protocol. <laughs> se- se- secondly, the club has the club has never really explained why it was which is that's it you're banned and the uh, supporters liaison officer Lee Marshall just ferries between the two looking uncomfortable and um, and defending and the, the indefensible but never really explaining it and not answering letters um, but hopefully things might be moving in a better direction but um, that brings us on to I suppose the new relationship that they have with their preferred media partners. Yeah, I mean, this angers me, and, I'm, and, and uh, you know, I'm, well, it angers me as a journalist. I suppose first and foremost, but it also angers me because it's the way football's gone, and what you've talked about there about Mike Ashley had more scrutiny since he bought a football club than he had in any x forty years of his life because he did everything on the quiet, bulldozed his way through the city, hugely successful businessman, brilliant businessman, incre- incredible success story, sports direct. But he, he he doesn't like scrutiny. He doesn't like being questioned. Doesn't like the fact that when he makes a mistake here, it's you know goes everywhere. Now the way football's gone, and you've talked about access there for fanzies. I bet that was the case at the majority of Premier League football clubs when the Premier. Well, I, I will go back longer than that because I'm a bit older than that. But in the 80s and 90s, the start of the fanzine movement and the old relationship that clubs used to have the local paper where the local paper was at the, you know the chronicle used to be at the training ground every single day talking to whatever football player they wanted to as well as the manager because the clubs realized they needed them and they needed to sell you know promote their product and the best way to promote their product was have loads of great coverage in the local paper and talk to the fans it was open communication now what's happened with football since is the clubs have become so big and so powerful that they've got their own communication arm now, employing people, wage, the wages they've got to justify, and they've looked at it and they've thought, right, so people want to read a player interview in the Chronicle. It's particularly the local papers that it harms. They want to read a print. Well, I don't want them to read it in the Chronicle. I want them to read it on our website. Because if they read it on our website, we sell advertising on our website and we make more money. Not only do we sell advertising on our website and make more money, we also control exactly what is said. So if a player says something daft, or, for example, do you remember the Stephen Taylor, I would rather collect stamps than play for Sunderland? <laughs> Great quote, a bit daft. Okay, if you're the press officer, you might have gone, mm, Stephen, you know, ahead <laughs> of the derby. But it's a great quote. You will never get a quote like that or anything like it in a they're sanitised, controlled message coming out of the football club. It's just sanitised rubbish. It's boring. It doesn't tell you anything. You're never going to hear anything controversial not even controversial interesting in a, in a sanitised club interview but they don't want that all they want is to just have the pictures with the sponsored shirt with the player looking clean and you know sell season tickets to families and it's a nice clean image etc etc now that's fine we're competing with that we've been competing with that for a while but now what Newcastle have done is they've gone even further and they've actually ostracised completely anyone or restricted access to anyone who does not pay for it to the point where we can't speak to players before a game. Um, there's a bare minimum they do with a manager. Uh, and basically you don't get any meaningful cooperation from Newcastle's media department at all. And this is on the basis of doing what they've done with the Daily Mirror, which is a, a national newspaper uh, 
has become an official media partner of a football club for the first time ever. And it's so alarming, A, that the Mirror would agree to do it, because there is no way that a newspaper should compromise itself by becoming a partner of anything or anyone in any organisation. And You know, I know... I work for the Telegraph. We all think we all know which political allegiance they have, but they would never be described as a media partner of the Conservative Party. If they feel the Conservative Party have done something wrong or an MP has misbehaved, they will report it because they're not official media partners. Controversially, you could say they're a media partner of HSBC. But, well, you, you could say that, but yes, that's an interesting point because this is the thing that's fired at me. Since that HSBC scandal, the Telegraph, I, think, I can't believe I'm standing there, the Telegraph's a good company, man, but they've introduced new guidelines that absolutely prevent that from happening that was a complete change of policy they ripped it all up they were embarrassed by what had happened if it had happened allegedly um, and there are now strict guidelines in place that means there is complete separation between editorial and advertising advertising cannot have any say in what goes on in editorial so they responded in the right way to that okay. now the mirror will say oh we're still independent we're still going to be critical really are you your back page on the day that Steve McLaren was unveiled as manager, when they were the only ones left, the headline was, I agree with Mike. Then it was, there were six pictures with Sports Direct logos all over their coverage. <laughs> now, are you independent of Sports Direct? Are you independent of Mike Ashley? The whole term media partner implies a level of collusion. And that's the reason there is a level of collusion there is because there's a reason for it. So if they have a controversial story and you're tied to a commercial contract, for example... Some TV companies, I won't name who, but it won't take a genius to work out, will not run with a story because they're worried about the renewal of a certain contract. If they do things that are negative or annoy, they're worried that they might lose a certain contract. Newspapers are completely free of a commercial contract. We don't sign a contract. We can write what we want in every area of society, not just football. Um, now, my worry, people would be probably a bit bored of this, but my worry, the media, the media partners thing is, is Ashley's won a really important battle for owners in the Premier League. He has broken the principle of free access for newspapers. And now what you may well get is when Manchester United next look how they can make an extra five million quid. Oh, do you know what? We'll have an official media partner in the press as well. Manchester City might do it. And then what happens to the press being independent? Because if you're a Manchester United official media partner, what does that do for your coverage of Manchester City? Sunderland fans are already moaning about the Mirror's coverage, I think unfairly to be fair, but they are already moaning because the Mirror has become a media partner of Newcastle. So what you could have as a newspaper, in theory, you see, the Premier League football clubs can restrict access to all written press. They can just say you're not welcome. You're not welcome. What we're actually going to do is we're just going to allow our official media partner into games. Now imagine if that happens across the Premier League, where it's, only one one newspaper. Which it's is not. Few- it's not just the Mirror. I hate, we're hasten to add because obviously the local press are part of the Trinity Mirror, including the Journal, the Chronicle, and the and the Sunday Sun. Um, so, what what do you think the implications are for the local press? I think it's they are separate. In the Trinity, Trinity, having worked for Trinity Mirror in the Journal, Trinity Mirror Regionals is separate from Trinity Mirror Nationals. Um, I don't think it's good for the Chronicle or the Journal and I think if you spoke to them honestly I don't think they see it as a good thing for them either because they're not getting any benefit out of it. They're still lumped into the 15 minute press briefing with the Sunday press, the national press and the evenings. They're not getting any extra, they're not getting player interviews, separate player interviews. They can't just ring up the press office and say oh I want to speak to Jack Colback. Um, you know, So they're not actually getting anything out of it. So 
I don't think they've been compromised by it, but I think they've been pacified. Mm-hmm. And I think if you look at where they were a year ago in the coverage, and yes, it's more positive now. Everything's more positive. And nobody's writing particularly negative things about Newcastle minute because believe it or not, we, we don't want to be negative when there's nothing to be negative about. There are positive. So guess what? People are writing positive things for a change. But I think they've been pacified by it. Um, and I think, again, that was an important victory for Ashley. You see, he's, he, he's a bully. He's a bully. I think what's quite interesting about this is that it hasn't actually been announced, has it? This is the media partner deal. Media partner. This no. is, this is uh, the, the likes of you and other journalists putting two and two together about who's who's been given access. Oh, I know. It's a media so, deal. I mean, it, you know, you'd presume if this was if the club believed this to be a positive thing or had any kind of self-defence, they would have announced it because mm-hmm. let's face. It, I mean, Man United are a good point. They're knocking out articles every five minutes about media, not media partners or sponsorship partners. Look at us. Being profitable is sexy in the Premier League. Mm. Like telling your fans that you can make money is is celebrated for some reason. Yeah. So was it something that you just twigged on the first day McLaren was announced, or was this? No, I've been in the offing. I mean, they tried it with the Sun a year earlier, and the Sun had backed away from it um, as soon as a myself and a certain Mirror journalist um, exposed what was going on, and George Colkin was was also part of that. I know there is a media deal, and if you look at the sponsors' logos behind the um, manager now, the Mirror's name is on there. It's a good spot. Um, just down, just down below. Yeah, but the mirror is there. Yeah. Why is that there? It is an interesting one because it's actually something that's existed with, um, so I'm led to believe, with uh, BBC Radio Newcastle for a yeah. number of years as well, mm. and um, and over over the last couple of seasons, where as as things at Newcastle reached boiling point, you know, whenever I've listened to the program, I've heard John Anderson defending himself in an exasperated style um, about how he he isn't towing any party lane, etc., etc. But they are, I believe, uh, uh, a media partner of the club. And what what it's leading to amongst some supporters is to kind of discredit those organisations that have got a media partnership because, fairly or unfairly, the um, the newspapers themselves are viewed as being tainted and not a place to go to, to get honest independent coverage. Newspapers should always be independent. I mean, it's about a free press. It's not about foot. This isn't about football for me. This is this is about a free press in a democratic society signing up to go to bed with an organisation that it covers. Yeah. Um, and you you just a free press has to be free of those sort of commercial contracts. Broadcasters it's slightly different. The BBC, I suppose, they are commercial organisations that compete with each other and they sign contracts for broadcasting rights. But the, the, the you could do you could argue, okay, well, the press should have to do that as well. And there'll be some people listening to this now who say, well, why don't you pay to cover it? We don't pay because we're not confined by those contracts. As soon as you sign a contract, that contract can be torn up and they can say, right, you, well, they can ban me anyway, can't they? Mm-hmm. But um, a free press has to stay free of those sorts of contracts. It has to be able to write what it wants within the constraints of libel law, which protect organisations from lies and, you know, uh, and ruinings of reputations if it's not true. We have to be able to, we have to stay independent. And that isn't just about football, that's about absolutely everything. You, you know, you've got to stay independent to be a free press. Look, I've had a preconception for a, a number of years now that um, of all the different press guys that have been banned um, down, down the years, and some, some of them I haven't even heard of them, you know, and you hear, you've been banned. Well, I didn't even know you were covering Newcastle, but um, there is this belief I've had that of all of the people that have been banned, 
none of Murdoch's interests have ever been on the. It's interesting. Been on the interesting on the, observation. You know, he's never going to ban Sky, is he? Yeah. No. You know, yet Carragher and um, slaughtered Newcastle last year, didn't they? You had Joey Barton on, I think, on BT, didn't you? Uh, he yeah. slaughtered, slaughtered Newcastle. Uh, and there's been, you know, several uh, journalists in Sky Studios. They'll never be banned from Newcastle because mm. they come with pots of money. Um, and likewise, obviously, the Times and the Sun um, are also owned ultimately by Mr. Murdoch. So, the, in terms of the decision to ban and not ban, I'm often struck by what the business relationships there are that exist. I don't, I don't know if there's a correlation between that. To be honest, what I will say is that Mike Ashley and um, um, Newcastle United under Mike Ashley have banned more newspapers and more journalists than than the rest of the Premier League combined. That's wow. damning. Wow. That is incredible. You look at you look at if you go back to what you said about Ashley's ego. When I heard that you were banned and other journalists, I you went good. Yeah, <laughs> I wasn't under the impression that Mike Ashley was one of these blokes that every morning had someone read the press to him, like you see in a film or something. Mm. You know, Sheikh Mansour gets a lot of stick off the likes of David Conn, who is a Man City supporter, and he's not banned. And people have asked serious questions of Abramovich and Chelsea and. The, the bloke, they, they don't seem to care. I mean, mm. it's not like Mike Ashley hasn't got other things to do. Why, why do you think Ashley's so bothered about what the likes of you or I've other n- journalists That's think? a great it's, question. It's crazy. That is a great question. I, I honestly don't know. I, I think it just goes back to the point Michael made. He's come into this, I think, completely blind. Like, we didn't do due diligence, for example. We didn't know how much debt they had. Supposedly. Um, I, think, I just don't think he understood what was going to happen when he went into football. I, I'm mystified why the ban's continuing. I really am. I, I just... I would like to have a meeting with Lee Charney, shake his hand, or, you know, have a chat, shake his hand, move on, get on with it. It's not going to change the way I report on the club if they let me back in. It's not going to change if they keep me out. It's not, nothing's going to change I'm always going to write what I think and what I know and what I hear I'm never going to make up stories I'm always my opinions are always going to be my honest opinions I don't understand why Mike Ashley is so sensitive as I said to you it was said to me the reason I'm not being allowed back in is because I've upset Mike Ashley why? I don't know I can only speculate I can only, I can only hypothesise is it something to do with the Rangers deal? I don't know. Uh, you'd have to ask him, but of course he won't tell you because he never does. He doesn't speaks. suffer many defeats, does he? And Rangers was a defeat. Um, I just don't know. And it, it, I am the only one banned now. Nice. I am the only one left on the outside. Um, I don't know why. I, I would hope it would end. I hope if Mike's listening to this, if he's an avid listener. <laughs> he's a regular listener. He's an avid listener. I mean, there's a very strong signal departure, isn't it? <laughs> um, uh, but I, I just don't know. It, it, it's a very, very strange one. And I think, without bigging this up into anything, it's not. I think the rest of the football world is fairly mystified by their attitude. That was going to be my next point, because this is, in your barn in particular, has picked up national coverage. I mean, I've read several articles. Well, the ban and the exclusive partnership. I know um, Marina Hyde in the Guardian, and you know, I'm trying to think of some others, but some several, several other high-profile people have mentioned and slaughtered Newcastle. Yeah, and they haven't been banned. Yeah, uh, well, I think but the, the other probably want to come. The, the, the other, the other yeah. problem is that they what what did they do to the original story? Almost banning gives it even more weight it makes it even more it makes it turns it into a bigger story for example not not this latest band but the dressing room story was a 450 word tiny column down the side of the telegraph they banned me 
it went mental. It was absolutely everywhere. It was on Match of the Day. It was on all the football shows. Because they banned me and because we were so um, public in our refusal to back down, which is unusual, um, I don't. I, I can't see why I'm still banned. Is I it, really can't. Is it actually? That's that's me question. Is it actually? Or I think it's Charmy? people he employs as well. Because, yeah. you know, one of the expressions I've heard about describing... Charnley and how he behaves his mini Mike. Yeah. Um, from from within the from within the club that he wants to be more Mike than Mike. You yeah, know? I wouldn't necessarily disagree with that. Yeah. You know, so he has this kind of uh, macho way of behaving. Um, even though I'm I'm led to believe that he uh, he wanders around Newcastle City Centre in disguises because uh, <laughs> he's scared of being spotted. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's. I wonder whether or not it's the people around him who are trying to prove how tough they are because that's the culture of Sports Direct's senior executive team. Maybe, maybe. Um, I, I, I just think, I, I feel personally now, personally, I feel personally, I'm saying, but I feel it has become personal. I don't think this is a band that should really still exist. I just think they don't like me very much. And if they can cause me some hardship, then that's what they want to do. But as I said at the very top of this show, this podcast, it's pointless. I haven't stopped writing anything. I still go to games. I still cover the football club. Why not just let's have a meeting, let's have a chat, let's shake hands, let's move on. Before we move on to looking at uh, Newcastle's next couple of months, do you think anything is going to change regarding preferred media partners? Do you think that the Premier League or the FA don't laugh, but are going to get in, or is, it, is this the beginning? The, of the FA beginning are very alarmed, although they won't necessarily say that on the record, but they are very, very alarmed by it um, because ultimately they recognise that you may have been led to believe that newspapers are a dying industry, but more people read about football in a newspaper every day than any other media and most of the media combined, Sky Sports News viewing figures are tiny. They're a tiny, tiny fraction. The most watched TV football show is Match of the Day, which peaks at six to seven million. Half the adult population of this country, more than half the adult population, read a newspaper every day. So the FA are aware that newspapers remain absolutely vital to the promotion of the sport as a whole, which is why England, when they have an England get-together, fall over themselves to provide stuff for the written press still. You know, they'll get a player every day, speak to Hodgson every other day, two players, bing, bang, there you go. That's the beast fed. Um, So the FA are alarmed. I think the Premier League, I don't know what the Premier League think. I think the Premier League are, I think it was you who told me, are just a, a, they they represent a federation of businesses, don't they? But Scudamore described himself as as the representative of of a, a, a collection of companies. He was he described as, as the secretary of a and, trade of a trade body. And if the Premier League football clubs or some of them decide that they want to have preferred media partners, the Premier League won't do anything to stop it. They'll just let it happen because the Premier League basically let the clubs do pretty much whatever they want. So there is probably a battle coming. I mean, we are talking extreme. I mean, the media partners thing. Newcastle would argue, and I should probably point this out, that they would argue that all they're doing is selling interviews effectively to one newspaper who get these interviews and that, that's the end of it but it's the principle that is in place now that a football club would have a preferred media partner and as I say under Premier League rules there's nothing that stops them like they've done with me banning me they could do that to every single I mean, newspaper I, th- I think it's a, a bit of a fruitless exercise as well having one media partner because such is the way that the media works now is that something goes in as an exclusive and the, the quotes and the pieces are chopped up by numerous 
different people, including some fans. Even. Yeah, and they, they chop it up and the and the kind of the headline it is if it's their own news, mm-hmm. and which of course it isn't. So, in terms of the advantage that it gives the the media partner themselves, I find that I th- I think it's something like that is they're going to wake up to after a year or so and think, is this worth... I the, hope so. Is this worth the aggravation? Is this worth the loss of reputation that we've got? And, you know, we've got one group of supporters in the North East who think they're not worth the light because they're a partner of somebody who they're supposed to be reporting on critically. I, I can't... It, it, you know, and the story... So there'll be something in... Steve McLaren said, I think we're going to be a team that goes after cup competitions... Ten seconds later, that thing has been chopped up and is repeated right across the internet, such as the internet uh, and how it works. In the past, if that had gone in a newspaper and there was new, no internet, then it would be a day or two days later when it would appear and feed into different newspapers. Mm. But now it's instant. you know. And I can see journalists cutting and pasting and putting it in and putting their own, as some editors, putting their own headline in etc etc and that's how it that's how it works and that's and that's how even fan some fanzines I see do it and it's right I think, I think just the one thing I will say I mean I did write a big thing in the Telegraph about it but my whole thing about media partners is and supporters think it's just the media eats itself they're not interested you have to ask yourself as a supporter do you want to read only what your football club wants you to read that they want you to know or do you want to read stuff that they don't want you to know now you will find over the last 20, 30 years, even while television coverage has exploded, it's newspapers that come up with the stuff that you don't I, necessarily want, yeah. that they don't I, want I you to read. At the, yeah. bo- at the bottom of some supporters, and I've, I've had this, maybe I'm just speaking for myself, there's been some stories that have appeared in the press and I haven't wanted to believe them. So I've, I've kind of railed against them. And, and I think that sometimes when we get a kind of, some bad news that we think it just comes out of left field and we're... It's diff- the, the timing's wrong and blah, blah, blah. We think, no, that cannot be true, it's crap. Mm. And I think maybe that's what you've had from some supporters, some, some people associated with True Faith, um, <laughs> which is that they don't want to believe it and and it's almost like they're in a court of law and provide the evidence, which, you, of course, you never can do. But we did with the first one. I mean, yeah. it, as I said, it was subsequently proven yeah. by other people and people have apologised. Uh, the, the the reaction to Mike Ashley trying to sell the club I mean people I don't think most fans wanted that to happen so I didn't get any abuse about that one I think probably the opposite was true fans really wanted to believe yeah, that one yeah. um, I he's not trying to sell it now though is he it's too um, so he says so he says and who are we to doubt what Mike Ashley says exactly right well that's enough of the media I think yeah sorry people no no, no that's great no that's yeah. been very very interesting Luke um, you said that you had written a little bit of Positivity so far this I'm season. Positive. Have, you, have you seen green shoots? I'm positive. Yeah, I'm. I'm I was okay. I'll go through what they did this summer. I was impressed. I was pleasantly surprised. I mean, they had the money to spend, and if they hadn't spent that money, they would have gone down this season. So I just yeah. put that little bit of qualification there. But they have. They've never spent more money under Mike Ashley. I like the players. I like Mbemba. I like Ronaldo. Florian. I like um, uh, Mitrovic. I'm a bit worried about, for obvious reasons. I mean, he's got, what's it, 46 yellow cards and six reds at the age of 20. That would suggest to me he might be a bit of a loose cannon. But I liked what Newcastle did. They didn't haggle. They didn't say they wanted a player and then went, oh, how much do you want for him? Ten. Mm, we're off of you five. <laughs> oh, okay, we're off you six. Oh, he's gone to another club. Oh, dear. They didn't do that. 
They met with the players' wage demands. They went and got the fee. And they tried. They have tried to improve that squad. That is all we've ever asked that they do. And I, and that's great. They've got a new manager in, which thankfully isn't uh, John Carver. Because yes. I was a bit worried that they might have just appointed John at one point. And maybe at the start of that, I would have said, give him a chance. I actually said at the start, give him a chance, see what he can do. Well, he showed us what he could do, and that was almost relegating. So I'm pleased they didn't do that. Um, but yeah, they've gone and got Steve McLaren. Okay, not everybody's first choice, but he's different. He's a good coach. I think he fits into the management structure that they've got. And I'm, you know, I'm fairly positive. What I would add to that is to say I'm worried about Mitrovic, but they haven't done enough. There was more money to spend and they haven't spent it. And for me, they needed another striker and a centre-back. They haven't done that, which means they're not top eight material by any stretch of the imagination. They're not going to win a cup competition this season. And the big tests are still to come. Um, this new positivity, this new we're ambitious, we want to win things. They said it all before. They said it in 2007 when Chris Mort was there repeatedly. They said it repeatedly when Derek Lambias was there in 2009, 2012. So you get a little pattern. There's a little intermittent little gap when they get criticised and the shutters go up and they don't say anything. And then they come out and they say, we're ambitious, we want to win things. I hope that's true this time. That's all I can say. But for that to happen, they're going to be needing to spend fifty million again next summer for a start, and then they're going to have to resist to sell their best players unless it makes football sense to do so. I think yeah. I mean, there is. We got to the point last season. It, it, we didn't get there quickly, you know. I think that's the that's that's the main that's the main thing to remember. That there's been peaks and troughs in terms of, of relationships with Ashley and his club. Um, you know, obviously the relegation being a, a particularly low point, Keegan walking out being another. But there have been high points as well, high points of expectations, like when they were fifth, you mm. know, and when they got pre- previous start, when they got promoted. There was optimism there, and they never, built, they never built on it. This time, I do think there is maybe more substance to it. And, I, and the reason I, I believe that is because I think it will take a long time for it to be proven, you know. Um, so... Because John Lee says it doesn't mean it happens. It doesn't mean it's that is the situation. It's got to take a long time, as you say. They've got to keep investing in players. But off the park, I understand they're making moves in the right direction. You know, I've just read in the last couple of days that John Lee has met um, Nick Forbes at the City Council, and that seems to be a relationship that's being mended. Good. Which is good because the leader of the city council and the, whoever's running the football club should be a good mm-hmm. one. Um, and I gather that John Lee has joined the board of the Newcastle Gated Initiative, which is designed to promote the club, uh, to promote the city. So and Newcastle United have got a big role to play in that. So they're two positive, two positive elements. And the other one is, as I've have had it on the QT, that John Lee is desperate to get Wonga off the shirt. Um, now that might be, you know, I have a. Uh, a kind of philosophical reason why I wanted off the mm. why I wanted off the sh- uh, why I wanted off the shirt, but I wonder whether or not there's actually a business reason why it needs to be. N- they, they need to end that, that. They need to end that relationship. So, and I, th- I would I would I would guess I don't know. I hasten to add I don't know, but I would guess that sh- shirt sales have tanked with that with that maybe the, with that on the um, oh, the, the, the shirt. I mean, just me own. 
<coughs> observations of, of the amount of shirts that I see around yeah. and, and actually a lot of people having contempt for some of those that wear it exactly. you know you know when people say oh he's got a wonga top on you know that there is an implication of that there's something dubious about the wearer mm-hmm. isn't there you know mm-hmm. so so there's that so it, it hasn't been great for the club's image you know it's put the club it I, I would imagine it's made it more difficult to sell other advertising other sponsorship um, so I gather that John Lee is making manoeuvrings to get it off the shirt and could be off the shirt by as, as early as the end of the season I hope well I just I mean I, all I want and all any supporter wants of their football club is for that football club to try to try and be get better to improve yes there'll be bad seasons there'll be, there'll be bad decisions there's been a hell of a lot of bad decisions in eight years under Mike Ashley some contempt con- Temptable decisions, horrible decisions, callous decisions, but there there does seem to me to be an idea at the minute that they're trying again, but it has to continue. And will they continue to try if they hit a sticky patch? And will will in January, for example, if someone comes in for Sissoko and they offer twenty five million, will they say, "Oh, we'll take that"? Would be mad. They would be mad. They'll be mad. And most some people would say, "Right, sell him." But I use it as an example. Or someone comes in. He's he's one of our best players. I'm not. He's not brilliant, but he's getting your. Or if Mbemba's brilliant between now and January, and Arsenal decide they want a a centre back, and they come in and say, "Oh, we'll give you twenty million now for him," they sell him. And Newcastle go, oh, we'll just plod along till the end of the season. Because you know what? That's what's killed the last two seasons was that complete and utter realisation that they weren't trying. That actually they didn't care what happened. They were safe and they didn't care anymore. Yeah. And that seeped into the football club. Yeah. And that was poisoning the football club. And now at least, at least, they seem to be trying again. I'm, I'm naturally sceptical because I've been covering Newcastle a long time and I've seen the Ashley regime promise these things and have supposedly wanted to win a trophy since 2007. But it, it's good to be sceptical. Sceptical isn't a bad thing. No, sceptical it's not. It's just not my job. No. It's just requiring, mean, in, any, in any field of, mm-hmm. of work, being sceptical is a positive thing. So if somebody tells you something, you want evidence to prove it. Yeah. You know that that's a that's a that's an entirely positive uh, frame of mind, and that's why I think Charlie has done an, another mea culpa and said, you know, well we've got things wrong in the past, and we knew blah blah blah. Yeah, you're right, but stop making promises and just do just it. Just do it. Yeah. Just, no, just exactly. Do it. Just do it. Yeah, and I mean, I, I, it would be. I do hope all that stuff you, you said is true about about Lee Charnley because the football club does need to re-engage with its city as well. Because it had done that, it didn't feel like the football club belonged to the city anymore. It felt like it belonged to the sports shop that I shan't mention, yeah. um, and was just an arm of that. Um, and I hope that's changing. I hope this isn't just a facade. I hope it's not all public relations. I want it to be a gen because Newcastle should be, you know, they should be top eight every year and they should be trying to win a trophy now. You know, I, the one thing I've always said, and I used to say it to, to former players at Newcastle, I do you know what I would like, and I'll say this about Sunderland, which probably won't go about, but you know what I'd love to do? I'd love to report on the North East football team winning something. When I started covering Newcastle in the Champions League, I was travelling all over Europe, and it was brilliant. It was it was the most enjoyable time in my job. So reporting on a successful football team is far better than reporting on a crap. And I, and I think sometimes the people at the football club think that fanzines enjoy slaughtering people and newspapers re- enjoy writing negative stuff, etc. And I, I got with that only interviewed Pardew once um, when they were on a on an excellent run actually this season that they finished fifth um, and he said yeah yeah I realise that it's in your interests or words to that effect to print you know bad news 
And I had to put him right. I said, you are joking. <laughs> you know, we want to write about beating, t- winning derbies. Mm-hmm. We want to write about beating Man United at Old Trafford, winning the cup, you know, playing Barcelona in the new, that, writing pieces about travelling to see Juve- Newcastle play Juventus. That's what, and we want photographs and we want all of that kind of stuff. That That's what we want. And that worried me that he might think. That. I think that's a view. For all positive stories sell newspapers, this is another point you have to realise. Mm-hmm. You know, if you have a positive, for example, having worked on the local paper, if Newcastle won, Sales, I can't do it. This is not going to work for yeah, a podcast, yeah. is it? But my hand is really That's high. Upward hand movement gesture. <laughs> and if they lost, they were they were a tiny fraction of it. So that tells you everything. And in the age of the internet, where we can track every single story and every person who's looking at it, we can't track down where you live and look for your webcam. Don't worry about that. <laughs> but um, you know, we we know how well a story is doing, and the positive stories are the ones that people want to read. So this whole era that we want to write negative stuff. It's not true. But if negative things happen, if a club isn't run properly and making bad decisions, then we will write about it and we will criticise. The the good news stuff is, I mean, I can remember the headline that when Newcastle signed Keegan, that was in the Chronicle, which was Keegan signs tonight. And there was a picture of him getting off the off the uh, off the plane, shivering (laughs) because it was so cold. Obviously, at Newcastle Airport, I remember that vividly. And likewise, uh, when she was signed, you know, uh, you, you can kind of. You know, I think it was coming home, Newcastle, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. And he's he's got his hands out, etc. Et so people want to report good news, writing bad news. I mean, last year I was writing one terrible, woe-begotten kind of editorial after another, yeah. and I was thinking, who's reading this now? Why? I'm just writing this. It's like same therapy thing. for you, wasn't it? Well, it, was, <laughs> it wasn't good therapy. Um, it was like, who's you know? Why I don't want to write this anymore. I'm sick of it. You know, and mm-hmm. I'm sure people who were reading it were similarly predisposed and then they then they got into the well you're being negative for its own sake and I'm saying have you seen where we are in the league have you seen where the results are yeah. you know, if, to write anything else would be completely ridiculous um, so you write you follow the you follow the results you follow what's happening you don't create it or shape it so you're absolutely right everybody wants to write good stuff yeah I just want everyone just wants to I guess I keep coming back to this phrase if Newcastle United are going to try and be a proper football club again I'm all for that and if that's under my cashier and I'm still banned, I don't care. I would just rather try and be a proper football club again. And I'll sit in the stands and write about a proper football club. That's or the Irish club, I understand. I did do one. That was, when, <laughs> that, was, that was when the protests were happening and I refused to buy a seat out of solidarity <laughs> to, uh, to uh, Newcastle fans. I watched an entire, I did, and I might have had a couple of drinks. And my be- yeah, funny enough, it was my best match report of the season. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a nice place to leave it. Yeah, lovely. It leaves me to say thanks very much. Really no, I really enjoyed it. It's been a pleasure. You're welcome back anytime. Thank you. Come back. I didn't swear too many times. You didn't. And we'll, you know, next time you're on, hopefully we'll have some actual wins to talk about. Maybe a cup or something. Who knows? Super.
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.